We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, welcome to Friday. It is, of course, the Bankroll Build live stream. I was talking about him last week. He's one of my favorite analysts in the industry. I don't miss what he writes, even if it's not up for me on Friday morning. Eric, how are we doing? Not too bad. Um, well, I guess today, today could be could be better now with uh, another COVID positive test. It's just been a shit show of a week. I was ex- I was excited when you asked me yesterday, but then I realized you asked me on probably the worst possible possible week. Like what, maybe three games postponed now. Plus we got a bye week. Like it's just kind of a kind of a disaster to come up with like tournament tournament teams on this one. We're losing. You know, it's quickly becoming a pretty short slate. So, um, you know, last year when we did this show, we had the Galaxy Brain Traquan Smith Bagel. So um, it can't get worse, I guess. Um, but I think I got a few that we can really uh, get get crazy with. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's definitely a bummer when we lose these games and they get you know shifted all around. And now it seems like this Jets-Cardinals game is completely up in the air. So yeah, I will say though, uh, you know, part of what makes DFS fun is these these puzzle pieces. And obviously we want as many pieces to play with as possible, but it's like, we just get a new puzzle every time uh, these changes happen, and now we have to solve for this new puzzle. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I mean, that's that's really like my favorite part of DFS. You know, the the, the football analysis and all that is great. Um, I do like to do a little bit of that. Uh, I just like football. But I mean, you know, um, it was perfect timing. Uh, Bales, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows who Bales is. Came out, you know, with his newsletter this week and talked about a lot of this this kind of stuff, you know, you're, you're playing a game. DFS is a game against other people. And I think a lot of the times, even I forget it, you know, you get so ingrained in, you know, studying the plays and all that kind of stuff that you forget, like, you know, the, the players on the football field don't care, you know, about, about DFS. They're not thinking, you know, they're not like, Oh, I'm projected for 18 points. I got to go get 18 points. Like it's just not how it works. You're playing this game against other players. So uh, I think this is a really good, week for that kind of concept because with these games getting pushed back you know some of these games getting pushed back postponed whatever um it's really 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 limiting down the player pool and some really pretty obvious plays a couple really obvious games so um but that makes her that makes her fun tournament weeks i think well it could, could be fun depends yeah depends is it on the Sunday, Sunday afternoon if we're celebrating like you you have been all year or if you're celebrating <laughs> celebrating like me drowning my sorrows yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, the the thing that Bales was driving home, and it's one of those reasons why kind of the arbitrary thing, you know, every once in a while you'll hear be like, well, you need 200 and X points to win a tournament. It's like, no, no, no. It's whatever uh, the rest of your competition has, you need 0.1 points more than them. It's like when I ran cross country in high school, I'm always looking at my watch. I'm like trying to set my PRs and my coach is like, no, you're just trying to get ahead of the next guy in front of you. I don't care what your time is. Just get ahead of some people. So yeah, that's definitely how we need to be thinking about this stuff. And uh, yeah, it is an interesting slate. It's again, a reminder. I I noticed this shift last year where it's like, everyone's too sharp. You know, Will Fuller does a few weeks in a row and then he's mega chalk. I'm sitting here. I was like, are we going to get Darius Slayton at low ownership? And now I see he's mega chalk. 
Like, how is this happening? He's a guy that the public used to would have hated in this spot. Yeah, so that's that's probably been my biggest takeaway. We talked about it last year. Like you said, Will Fuller was the perfect example, but it's been my biggest takeaway this year so far is that um, I've had that in the back of my mind, but like I go into, like I really don't form all my thoughts until, you know, maybe today, tomorrow um, about what I want, how I want to attack the slate. And I go in and I'm like, okay, two weeks ago, it was Allen Robinson. I forget which game, this Seattle was playing Dallas, you know, that, and that game was awesome. But I'm like, okay, everybody is going to play Amari and Lockett and whatever. And I'm going to play Allen Robinson over those guys. I can still play parts of the Seattle game if I want to, but I'll just, all Allen Robinson has to do is beat those guys. And I win. Allen Robinson's like 30% ends up like 30% owned. You know, everybody saw, saw the same thing. He was off a game of six fantasy points. And then, um, you know, well, Brandon Cooks was like the bad version of that play last week. You know, he has all the air yards and routes run and all that in a good spot and everybody jams him. Um, but I, I think it, it has become a little different where we do need to think about the fact that the field isn't, you know, chasing. They're not chasing game logs, really. It happens a little, but n- nowhere near to the extent of three, four years ago. And everybody is aware, you know, these Oh, buy low, guys. Like you're not actually really buying low in DFS. No. Maybe in maybe in season long, you you end up buying high. So there ends up being more of an advantage. It's so ass backwards now. There ends up being more of an advantage to seeing if there this really is like a trend of this guy. You know, not not really being what we thought he was. It's and it's not a buy low. Um, so it, it, you know, it's it's totally been a you know whirlwind change for me because that was something that I, you know, was able to take advantage of that I'm that I'm like galaxy braining myself into, you know, DJ Moore last week. And maybe DJ Moore again 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 this week. Everybody was buying low on DJ Moore. And maybe we don't want to buy low on DJ Moore. Yeah. So let's use Slayton as an example of like, is this because is he more <laughs> cooks or he's is he more a Rob, to me, I'm terrified of playing him at this ownership right now. He's at 22% ownership. And again, he checks all those boxes. This is why he's owned. You know, he's in the air yards by low model. It's a paced up game. <laughs> Cowboys give it up to every single wide receiver. But Darius Slayton profiles as a boom bust guy. Is his risk baked into this ownership percentage? See, that's where I don't that's where I don't think that it is. I think that um, you know, everything that you said makes him a, a good play in a vacuum. But I think that there's when I start to um, I talk about this with Chop. I think it's even more so apparent on like showdown and short slates, and that's what Chop and I talk about on Mondays. But when I start to have any sort of doubt about these kind of really popular plays, it's when I really want to start to go the opposite of the way the field does. You know, so if this was three years ago and the whole field, everybody had doubt about Slayton's, you know, uh, bad game logs and roll or whatever then okay yeah i'm in you know because he can catch two long touchdowns and smash the slate but when everybody starts to go the opposite direction and they're not at all concerned about the fact that the giants offense is dreadful daniel jones is not very good like slayton is a fine player but no one's mistaking him for odell beckham right so when everybody starts to treat you know when they treat cooks like will fuller and (laughs) when they treat darius slayton like odell beckham I, I don't want to do that, you know? So um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very different game we're playing now than even like, you know, a year, a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I think where I'm at now with Slayton is I could see myself if I'm going to have him, it's probably going to be in a Daniel Jones double stack with mm-hmm. Tate and Ingram. And then whoever you want to bring back low owned on the Cowboys, but I don't really want to play Slayton as the bring back with Cowboys or as a one-off at this ownership. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I'm, I'm, we were talking about it before the show that I really try to wait till later in the week to get a better gauge of, of ownership. And I, I kind of think that um, I'm pulling up ours right now. And I kind of think that uh, we might be a little low on the Evan Ingram projection too, ownership projection. Um, it just It's just such a natural game stack. Like it, it, it just checks every every box. Um, tight end is is has Kittle and Kelsey, but I don't even think you know those guys are people. People still don't really like to pay up for tight end, and everybody's seen what happened to the Cowboys. I just feel like 
you know, Slayton and Ingram, whether you're pairing them with Jones or you're, or you're bringing them, bringing them back against stack, it's, it's exactly what everybody's doing. So, um, that's just, that's just like my total fear of, of that game is it's, it's like too obvious. Um, you know, even Ingram's a buy low, you know, he's 10, tar- getting 10 targets and stuff. So. And it is, it is tempting too now because the, one of the bigger narratives now is okay. Tight end is super gross. You can, you can win a GPP with Adam Troutman getting a zero. <laughs> and one of the easy ways to eliminate decisions for tight end is just like, oh, we'll just do it as part of your, your game stack. So I could see a ton of these Dallas game stacks and just bring it back with Ingram. It just solves it. It's like, it's yeah. not a, a bad price. He's, his targets are up and I, uh, yeah, Roto Grinders has him right now as the chalkiest guy. It's honestly kind of surprising. I know he's been on the injury report, but man, Dalton Schultz at similar price, mm-hmm. uh, down here at, what do we have him at? 4.5% ownership. I mean, maybe that's the leverage play there. Yeah. So, um, I think we should talk about a little bit about the, the Cowboys game, um, there's some good discussion this week, and well, anytime I'm on the I'm on the same side as as Rich Rebar as Reeves, uh, that makes me feel more com- more confident in in my take. But I, I felt this way last week, and it was could not have possibly been more wrong. But the the Cowboys games so far this year have been pretty fluky. Um, you know, th- they're an awesome offense, and they're a horrible defense. So I'm not saying that you know there's no upside in their games or. Or, you know, it's a total fluke. They should, they're, they're not going to be in 17, 14 games very often. But, you know, they're, they're like turning the ball over like three times every first quarter. <laughs> they're going, they're falling down by 20 points in the first quarter to bad teams um, or average teams. And, and and their offense is so good that Dak can just crush if, they, if they're, you know, if he's chasing three scores all game. So I don't think that we should expect, you know, he's throwing almost 60 times. It's absurd. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable no matter how good their offense is or how bad their defense is. It's just not going to happen every week. So I, I just don't think that this, this feels like the kind of, you know, quote unquote trap spot where the, like, I, they can't keep falling behind like this. And the Giants are not the kind of team that can punish them like Russ and, and even the Browns can if they, if they, you know, make these mistakes. So that makes me really not anywhere near as excited as the field seems to be about this game. However, going to our original point, I've heard a lot of that. Like Reeves is screaming it from the mountaintops. That's my opinion. That's uh, uh, I think Leone was talking about it. Like a lot of, you know, not me, a lot of other sharp people are, are talking about this. So then it starts to make you think, well, if everybody is saying this, this is like the princess bride scene. <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. Like, but this is how, but this is how I think you really do have to think about yeah. it. And it sounds ridiculous, but like, I don't think it's going to matter for Slayton. I think people are going to play Slayton um, and maybe even Ingram, but I think people are going to play Zeke way more than they're going to play the Dallas passing game. At least, you know, everybody comes in thinking it's Dallas pass game, but I think the public sentiment is, is all kind of what I just outlined. And whereas I think all the public sentiment is obsessed with the Panthers Falcons game and, and rightfully so. So um, I think that's kind of the interesting like dichotomy of this slate is all this galaxy brain shit that you have to think about. Yeah, no. And it's true. We've seen it a lot with the quarterbacks too. And, you know, I believe it was, was it uh week three, you know, Russell Wilson, the obvious double stack to, to DK and Tyler Lockett that didn't end up being absurdly own like we get worried when it's like russ is 30 percent and the wide receivers are both 20 percent, and you're like okay this was a bad play but when they're down there and russ is at 10 percent, and these guys are at like 13 to 15 percent, it's like you can easily build a really good lineup around there that's not going to be duplicated and still have some leverage yeah i mean last week i made multiple mistakes but um i was on fits to Devonte parker because, you know, kind of the the whole DJ Moore was the same price as Devontae Parker. And that was just getting all the, you know, kind of the this Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller type love. And we weren't projecting Devontae to be, you know, he wasn't 2%, but he wasn't really, it wasn't worth worrying about his ownership. And I knew Fitz would be owned, but everywhere you look, he was like maybe the fourth or fifth quarterback because you know, there was all the studs. Well, Fitz comes, ends up in the, in the, in the high dollar Millie maker. He, he was the, by far the chalkiest quarterback, like 30% or something. I mean, something just egregious. And Devontae Parker was the highest owned wide receiver in the whole contest. So, you know, 
it, it, it's the field is is thinking a lot of these same similar things to where that logic is not a step ahead anymore. It's exactly it's exactly the the public sentiment. So the public was totally off of this Cowboys game because they thought the same thing that I did, and they're like, oh yeah, fits to Devante. This is super easy, you know. Um, so uh, you know, totally spitballing and and, and rambling, but I, I think this week is even more is even more important for that because we're going to have less games and yeah. we have more, and we have these two that are just clearly the best the best two so that's that's kind of the crux of your decision making yeah we're gonna dive into the slate in more detail here in a sec but i do want to just pull back a little bit here uh what contests have you been playing obviously we have the hand builder versus opto bro battle <laughs> continuing to rage on are you both i mean i know you're in all these single entry tournaments and stuff are you also mmeing or are you focusing on one thing right now no uh i ha- i think i have mmeed NFL twice in my life and once I literally airballed a total a zero one over 150 and then the other time it like I lost I, it was whatever I never had a sweat I lost yeah um and I'm just quite frankly not good at it like it's not my thing I'm not I'm not very good at managing exposures I get way too excited about my favorite plays, so I'm like the all-in or bust guy and um I've just always had way more success in my personal belief you know, unless you're really good at MME, you know, there's a lot of people that are people that work here, people elsewhere. Um, unless you're really good at it, I think it's by far the most advantageous thing to do to get into the the smallest fields that you can. You know, it's not quite yeah. as sexy, I guess, if you're if your bankroll isn't that. But I, I also believe that that's the quickest way to build your bankroll. That's how I built my bankroll. I, I wasn't I didn't start out three years ago or four years ago or whatever playing in the luxury box, but I started out grinding. as small field as I could and you string together a couple of good wins and then you you get lucky once you know I you get I think I my first one was baseball got lucky once and now I have a little bit of a bankroll and you know uh, I think you talked about it this week like I believe in like shot taking you know you you kind of that's how that's how you can really get lucky in this is is have have a couple of decent wins and then take a shot and you know hopefully get lucky most people may not believe in that uh in terms of bankroll management but that's kind of that's kind of what I believe in the smaller fields help you help you do that. So that's my focus. Yeah, and I uh, I've been getting the tease. I've been doing the line movement show with Hulk. Yeah, you're a nit. Yeah, you're yeah, a nit. I'm getting the nit because I'm. La- I mean, we are we're playing the Thunderdome this week, so you know I got yeah. I got overruled on bankroll management. But here's <laughs> what I'll say: you have a much larger sample size of knowing that you're a positive EV player. I don't. I, I literally was a lifelong losing DFS player up until uh, a few weeks ago. So yeah. I want to continue to play at my same volume and actually see: hey, do I have an edge? Am I slightly better than the field here, or was this just fluky? And so that's why I'm not quite in the shot taking thing. And I'm able to just play my same volume. And I have upped it a little bit. I'm now playing in, in both the spies. I'm playing a decent amount on the showdown slate. So we're, I, I just think I'm, I know what the lows are. So I'm just keeping it <laughs> uh, for now. But uh, yeah, we, we got to keep riding the heater here. So when you, how many uh, lineups are you hand building for these single entry and three max contests? Changes a little bit uh, week to week, um, anywhere from one to five. Okay. And how do you, cause one thing too, that we've been talking about for these lineups, you know, we, we made three for the juke last week and then one for the game changer, which we won. And we're always trying to, you know, debate which one's going into which, are you just clackety clack or are you kind of saying like, Oh, this one might be chalkier. I want to put this in the smaller. How, yeah. how do you feel about that? So that's, that's probably my biggest struggle, like out of any, any DFS thing. So you know, if it were if it were like totally uh, maybe being optimal, I would do more of, of what you guys do. But I'm too messed up in the head to be able to play something. So like I also play like higher dollar qualifiers, right? So like the thousand dollar live final qualifier, you can only enter it twice. So if I make more teams, like I can't stomach, like I can stomach losing. I can't stomach not like playing everything in all the different contests. Because if I play, you know, if you play your best team and it's your lowest volume, like, uh, like that's tilt to me, like running bad on the NFL slate is whatever, but like doing it to myself, like drives me absolutely nuts. So I do usually focus on two, maybe three teams, um, just because I don't, I don't like to, you know, have certain teams that uh, aren't in some of these, these contests. And I'm just relying on like, 
you know, uh, kind of getting lucky as opposed to having the same equity in all my teams. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, of, you know, if you build these lineups, you really like, you know, toss them in a couple of, they have the really good $8 three max, you know, they have the, the smaller field contest where it really does matter. I was comparing a few weeks ago, just how my team that won $10,000 in the mini spy would have won. I think it was 1500 in the big spot. Yep. I mean, that's that's massive. And so making sure that you have a chance. We all want the big prize pools, but if you really want to get shots on goal and have chances for big scores, like you've got to be very uh specific with your contest selection. I don't think people even realize how how drastic it is either. Um, you know, they just see the top prizes and they see, oh, I had a good week. What you know, well, what could have been if I was, you know, if I had your bankroll, if I was playing those contests. Um and and I don't think people even really realize like yes, chasing that I chase the I chase the big prizes too. But you know, you're it's really freaking hard to make a top one percent team, you know, in 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 any contest. So when you do make it, you want to maximize you know the 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 winnings of that, and you want to maximize your top five percent teams too, because your top five percent team could win, like you said, that second spy. But it, but you're like doubling your money in the original spot, and and those things over the long haul like are huge huge bankroll boosters. At least they have been for me. Yeah, and the other thing about that too is for, and I I assume you feel similarly for these, you know, smaller field contests, you know, anywhere from 250 to 500, we're, we're almost always doing game stacks. It eliminates the yeah. number of things we need to get right. But if you have a really good game stack lineup in a 300 person field, that might not even sniff decent money in the Millie maker because you need to get every single thing right. Yeah. So it's also like, don't just toss it in the Millie maker because you have it in the 250 person contest. Look for other similar, similarly sized contests so that if it does hit, it can hit, you know, in proportion to the contest that you're playing. Yeah, so a perfect example, I think it was last week. So Squirrel Patrol and I do a, a show later today, actually, uh, where we talk about, it's called Q Chasing or Q Hunting or whatever, where you know we do focus a little bit on the live final qualifiers because um, that's both a, a big portion of what both he and I play. Um, but it's also a lot more about uh, small field and like tournament decision-making, not just for, for qualifiers. So we went through um, using the $5 fantasy football world championship qualifier last week compared to the $1,000. Um, and the $1,000 usually isn't even that different from like the $400. But anyway, the $5 was the most absurd team I have ever seen in my entire life. You know, and, and it would, that's not even the Millie winning team. It was, you know, it, it beat 15,000 people or something like that. Yeah. And it was like 0.1, literally 0.1% Kyle Rudolph, like 2% Todd Gurley. Like, I mean, it, and, and like, terrible correlation like i'm off i mean it, i would never make that line like no one would ever make that line yeah. you know, it left 600 on the table or whatever <laughs> it was just it was just a truly absurd absurd team and then you look at the the thousand dollar winner which you have to beat 60 something people you know it's super logical it was a yeah. semi chalky semi chalky with a couple of pivots and a game stack it's like man yeah. you know and and it was it scored like 70 points less but won the same amount of money you know yeah. so um, it's so wildly different. And just for me, like, I, I just can't, I just can't do the, you know, respect to the people who can just, just, it's just not for me. And I enjoy kind of the strategy around, um, roster construction and, and all that kind of stuff in the smaller fields. Yeah. I was looking at the lineup that won the spy last week and it was what you would call, or what I would call like the most logical lineup possible, which is the quarterback to a double stack, you bring it back with a receiver on the other team, you correlate one running back with the defense, you correlate the other running back with a wide receiver from the yep. same game, and you play a one-off tight end. That, like, to me, it, yep. how do you feel about those secondary correlations as far as forcing those in, or are those just kind of luxuries if they work? Almost always force it in. I, I pretty much force as much correlation as I, as I possibly can, you know, every week is a little, is a little bit different. Um, like we were talking about Allen Robinson, that shit, the, the terrible game that Allen Robinson played. That's probably why I jammed him in two weeks ago was because I, I played him, I played him on his, his six point, his six point game. But, um, like that one, that week I, I was, it was just a, a shot. I was taking on Allen Robinson at low ownership. I didn't force, uh, bring backs, but that's, that's, that's pretty rare. I actually think not necessarily more important than like your your team stacks or game stacks, 
but it's right there because people don't because people don't do it and i don't and i don't think people think about you know those other correlations as much because of because of what you said like you're really in a tournament trying to you know minimize the amount of of things you have to get right you're creating a parlay right like every every spot is a is a bet on your parlay ticket so if if you correlate as many of them as you can you're you're turning your eight game parlay into a three game into a into a three game parlay and it's sure as shit a whole lot easier to win a three game parlay than it is to win to win an, an, an eight gamer and i don't think you know while there's not like a ton of of correlation just like from a math perspective between like running back and opposing wide receiver you're you're not trying to nail the exact correlation that's between those two you're trying to nail one specific game flow that that you get right that gives you the opportunity to hit a ceiling yep no totally let's um let's dive into the slate a little bit the people need their picks they are they are done with us talking game theory and contest selection even though for me that's actually what's most interesting to talk about but um let's start we can start right at quarterback here as far as you know, which of these games are interesting to us. We can really quickly sort here by ownership, Dak and Teddy. We knew those games were going to be popular. And then the quarterbacks on the other side, Matt Ryan, Daniel Jones. It seems like if you go off of those guys, you're going to be pretty unique already. Are of these four quarterbacks from the same two games, are are you willing to eat these or do you think you're just going to be looking elsewhere? Um. As of right now, my plan is to to look elsewhere. I think I think ownership's going to continue to. I, I still think ownership might even be low. Uh, our projection on on those two games, and not to beat the dead horse, but like talking about the small field stuff, um, that's another thing that I don't think people uh, understand quite enough. Like in a, a hundred to five hundred person contest, the ownership gets seriously absurd on some of these guys. Like these are like millie maker projections in general. Millie slant, whatever that we have here. And they're, they're pretty accurate in those contests. You can like, for like the chalky guys, you can like double it for, for the, you know, in the luxury box or whatever, which is where I'm mostly focused. So like it, it, it's even more beneficial to kind of deviate, deviate from the chalk. And since it's so hard for a quarterback to really separate, I know we haven't, <laughs> we have seen them separate so far through the first four weeks, but I think it's been a little fluky since it is so hard for them to separate. I really don't want to be on some, you know, 15 to 30% owned owned quarterback. So I, I would rather deviate from those guys. Yeah, for sure. And there's some really nice pivots here. You know, one really simple thing that I've been liking to do is just I'll literally sort by ceiling and then look at these this ownership here and try to see who's who's jumping out. And the guy that immediately jumps out to me is Deshaun Watson. If he's down here yeah. at 6%, we know he's got, you know, one of the top two, three ceilings on the slate. I don't know what's not to like about this spot versus the Jags. Uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, I It was coming into the week where that was the first thing that jumped out to me too. I'm like, oh God, Cowboys, Giants. And then, then you know, Julio got hurt. And so you see, oh Jesus, the Falcons have a 3K guy and Ridley and all these Panthers guys. I'm like, okay, where's kind of something that looks really appealing that may not be as obvious to everybody else. And Deshaun Watson was the first one, was the first one that jumped out, you know, narrative, whatever, you believe whatever narrative you want. If, if you want to use it as your argument, that's fine. But Bill O'Brien being gone can't hurt. <laughs> it may not make him better, but it, it can't hurt. And um, everybody was in love with Deshaun, Deshaun Watson last week. And it's one example where, where they're not, you know, uh, buying low, if you will. So uh, I'm, I'm also pretty into him. For sure. And I'm curious, how much do you, you know, one thing I've been doing um, is I like looking at the the optimals to start to get ideas like last week. Um, if you ran them early, you saw, you know, Baker to Landry and Odell. That was that was popping up in a ton of them. Do you like looking at optimals at a starting point or are you just a true hand builder at your core that you don't even care? Um, mostly a true hand builder at my core. I joke, you know, after the bit, you guys you guys had first of all that was absolutely hilarious because i i could not possibly believe what davis was saying that he didn't <laughs> understand like li literally i have never never uh well the two times i max entered i have literally never used an optimizer <laughs> i hand hand built teams for 10 years or whatever yeah so anyway uh, but like I, I even took it further with like people i was talking to. i'm like i 
you could probably do my process on your phone. Like you don't even need uh, like to pull up the old laptop or the desktop for, for my process. Cause it's like entirely roster construction and ownership based. Like I, I really don't care that much about the projections, but to your point, I look at them, but it's for, it's for the ownership. Like I, I like to look at the blitz because I know a lot of uh, some of my, the people I'm playing against use that and, and see what that is, what that is spitting out. And then I also look at our projections and some other projections. So, cause, cause you know, I know that other people are looking at that. So I'm looking at it more so to kind of get leverage off my opponents than I am to uh, build my own teams. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's fun to see. I think it helps me of being like, wow, this guy is showing up in a lot of optimals. And then you start to ask yourself the question like, okay, if it's Demir Bird, who I know is now no longer on the main slate, but it's like, okay, does he have the ceiling to help me win a tournament? Or can he be an Adam Troutman bagel where he's allowing me to fit in other guys? Like then you start to have to ask those follow-up questions. But I do think it's interesting to check these out. It looks like I need to get the uh, the bills out of my optimals here because they're still in here. What's going on? Yeah, I imagine that uh, Alameda Zacchaeus will take the place of Khalif Raymond there. I, I can't. He, he's 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 got to be the guy that I, again. I don't know what our ownership has has on him right now. Yeah, as you look it up, I will say there was just a tweet I saw a few minutes ago that Julio is um, kind of moving around at practice. So, oh God. I, I have no idea how that's going to shake out. Pardon my French. This fucking guy is <laughs> is a is an absolute disaster. Like, I, I actually had I'm I'm pretty bad at showdown, which is you know uh, I guess terrible to admit, but I'm not the world's greatest showdown player. I actually had an awesome uh, like showdown team and two game slate team the other night. Aaron Rodgers. Chop was touting Jamal Williams, so I got on board with that. Like just smashing, smashing that game and and fading Ridley, and just need Julio to you know not die, and uh, and of course, of course, he gets hurt. Yeah. So even just pulling this up right here, like I I, I can start to go through and ask some questions, start to think about this slate. We know the optimizer doesn't know some things. The optimizer doesn't know Raheem Mostert is playing right or trending toward playing right now. Jarek McKinnon might not right. be this smash at 5,800. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily know that Zeke's going to be this popular and he's losing his offensive lineman. Uh, but then I see <laughs> things like, oh, wow, three giants are showing up here. I have no yeah. stack rules imposed on this. And then we can do what Eric was saying and go look at this ownership. All right, everyone's going to play Ingram and Slayton. Hey, Tate could shape up as like one of those really good one-off leverage plays. As I scroll through these optimals, anything else along those lines look interesting to you? I mean the Panthers, definitely the Panthers, um, which makes which makes sense. Um, to your point on the 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 Julio thing, you know that's uh, honestly I had just been assuming that he was out, and I hadn't you know caught any news of of him this morning. So my expectation come pretty much all week has been that Zacchaeus would just be crazy chalk, which made that that stack just so blatantly obvious, like as an easy build, kind of like what we were talking about with the Cowboys. So kind of similar trend where those those two games just you just keep seeing them jammed into these into these optimals which makes you think like okay yeah we're projecting relatively high ownership on most of them but as we start to remove more and more games because of covid um as more and more people start you know reading content or listening to shows or whatever like everybody everybody's going to see this same thing and nobody feels comfortable clicking these other games because we have even less games to choose from yeah yeah, I am really interested in the Panthers because it does seem like you, you'll eat a little bit of chalk with Robbie, but if DJ's down here at 13%, I, mm -hmm. I, I can live with that. And then, like you said, if Olamidi is locked in as being this kind, kind of his ownership goes up, it's going to be polarized based on whatever happens with Julio. It almost makes me like Ridley as the bring back. He's been so solid. He's more expensive. We know he's going to play regardless of what shakes out with Julio and Olamidi. So that stack right there is pretty interesting to me. I almost feel like, um, you know, next level, next level uh, theorizing this, that I would like for Julio to play and then um, still play Ridley as yeah. a bring back. I actually think it would make that game a lot more playable in tournaments. Um, if Julio does play, 
because then you have this super expensive Ridley that nobody's going to play. Um, and, and you can, like you said, DJ Moore, I think his ownership will be like, I'm not worried about his ownership in yeah. tournaments. I am worried about Robbie's ownership in tournaments and definitely worried about Mike Davis, but game stacking the pass game there, um, even though Teddy will be a little bit popular, um, can, can still get you some leverage. And I wouldn't be too worried about the, the overall ownership of the line. Yeah. And the nice thing like that is if you don't play Mike Davis, you, you double stack those guys, you eat a little Robbie uh, chalk, but their offense has been so concentrated through those yeah. guys. And everyone now is like, Oh, Robbie Anderson's the one a or whatever. But it, again, it's a one a one B and it's concentrated through these guys. So you play both of them. We just eliminated our decision-making and get some leverage on the Davis chalk and a unique bring back with Ridley. So uh, we're going to build a lineup here in a second, but that's definitely interesting to me. We haven't talked much about tight end other than mentioning it's gross and, and Evan Ingram here. Uh, not a lot of guys popping up in the optimals outside of Darren Waller. Let's Richard talk about Rogers. Richard Rogers. I know. Let's talk about that Chiefs uh, KC yes. or, uh, or Raiders game. Are you uh, are you into that at all? Yeah. So I really started to dig in more last night, and like I said, my original kind of early week thought was like the the Texans game, but I still kind of and I still I still definitely like that game, and I think it sets up for a pretty nice stack because of what you have on both sides with like Fuller and Chark and Chenault and whatever. Um, you can torture yourself with Cooks again, I guess. <laughs> and so so that, that, game, that game is fine. I still think those teams are both probably pretty brain dead. And, and I'm, not, I'm not super excited to jam them into my teams. But the, the Chiefs game is like, was the one last night. I'm just like, okay, it feels uncomfortable. The sentiment is basically that the Chiefs are just going to roll, right? Everybody likes CEH, rightfully so. Like who they just played, you know, four, four games and one time they, 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 you know, were winning all of them except the, the Chargers game. They didn't like ride CEH except once against the Texans and the Texans are total dust. So like, who's to say that Mahomes doesn't throw for 305 here. Yeah. And like, I, like everybody has conceded that the chiefs are going to just go hang 35 or 40 every single week. And, and, and we're not, we don't have anywhere to really spend our money, I guess, Zeke. Like, so why, why is no one interested? Like, just because we haven't seen, I guess, and, and we did see a ceiling game shit against the Ravens. He scored four, he scored 40 something <laughs> fantasy points and they were winning the whole game. You know, yeah. I, I, it's just one of those where I understand it's not like as clear cut of a stack because he'll throw it to Hardman, he'll throw it to Kelsey, he'll throw it to Tyreek. And people want to do the the CEH buy low thing, which I understand. But it's kind of where I want to be like, if everybody just thinks they're just going to ride CEH, like if they if they go hang 50 on the Raiders, which they can, the Raiders are like second to last in defense DVOA, just they, they can't stop anybody. So the best offense in the league, like going totally unowned on a slate that there's really not that many good plays, doesn't make a lot of sense to me in tournaments. And we know Ty, like why can't Tyreek can go catch two 80 yard touchdowns in the first half. Yeah. Like uh, it's a spot that I, that's just growing on me the more, the more and more I think about it. Yeah. in in previous years, it's been generally cost prohibitive to do the Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, you know, Hill double stack, mm -hmm. but at 64 and 6,900, that's not absurd. We, we can make that work. Yeah. And, and, and you can also, you can also play Waller at tight end if you would prefer. You know, I definitely yeah. like I definitely like Kelsey a lot too. But you know, if you're looking for a bring back, they do have a couple options. Uh, the Raiders actually do. But you know, Wall Waller could be the highest scoring tight end very very easily if that game goes like you need it to for your stack, where the Chiefs just score at will. How do you think about a a bring back? as far as it being a running back on the team that's projected to lose. Cause last week I found myself in this situation. I had a rust double stack where I brought it back with Gaskin, you know, thinking he has a high floor with his pass catching and could maybe thrive in either game script. So Jacobs being the example here, how do you <clears throat> feel about that? So um, I've thought a lot, a lot about that because I think in, it makes logical sense that you have the pass catcher and you're like, Oh, you know, I can just pile up like six or seven catches as they're, as they're trying to come back. But what we see usually in running back ceiling performances outside of 
the Kamaras and like the McCaffreys that are that are literally basically just receivers. You know, the, re- the receivers that run that that get goal line carries. That the ceiling games come from rushing. Yeah, you, like you may you may you know extrapolate your ceiling higher because you catch seven balls, which is great, but you're not really ever hitting a, a true running back ceiling without real rushing production. And what real rushing production does, you know, if your running back runs for 102 on the ground, that game is just slowing down and, 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 you know, getting muddied up a little bit, you know, so if Josh Jacobs is out here running for 150 and two, you're, you know, the chiefs might be the rare example, but it's, it, it's just probably not going to end up being the stack that you want. So I try to, I, I try to focus on the, the wide receivers and tight ends who can just, you know, the other team, we see it all the time, right? We've seen it every week so far this year. One team gets way ahead, the other, and they start playing total prevent defense, and you just get catch after catch after catch. And it's, you know, generally not the running back just piling up ceiling performances. You know, it's CeeDee Lamb, it's Dalton Schultz, it's Amari catching 12 balls. Yeah. Um, It's usually those guys. Yeah, and I get probably the exception would be if you have the home favorite or whatever running back who gets out to a to the big lead and then you play the kind of as blender would call it the vomit stack coming back yeah. that's cheap and then they're throwing so the game script works in your favor in both directions the running backs trying to salt it away the other team is having to throw the whole time but as we know it's really hard to nail game scripts <laughs> yeah that i mean it's it's hard as shit to nail game scripts period yeah. it's it's even harder to nail the one where the team runs to get a lead and the other team still somehow ceilings coming coming back because if you're running you're just chewing chewing up so much clock but to your point um yeah i think blender talked about it earlier uh earlier this year on on one of his shows where that that is where price of a stack really really matters you can do that you know say so derrick henry let's say derrick derrick henry and i know that game's off the board but the derrick henry goes out to you know runs 30 times for 200 yards and two touchdowns if the if the opposing stack is Mahomes to Tyreek and Kelsey is probably not going to win you a tournament because, you know, they're just not going to have enough plays to hit ceilings at their prices. But if it's Kyle Allen to Logan Thomas and whoever, it might be, it might be a little different scenario because those guys are just so cheap. You don't need, you know, you don't need them to score 40 points. The chiefs have to score 40 points. Yeah. All right, guys, let's build a lineup here. I got the DraftKings pulled up. We have our PPDs in here in, in bright red. Look at this. We got C19 PPD. <laughs> like the descriptors are getting out of control in here. Um, I always get asked this question. I literally get like one or two DMs a week about this. This is the Roto Grinders Chrome extension that overlays in ownership percentage. You can toggle it to other stuff. It gives you the team totals. If you're in the lobby, you can see the rake, the overlay, where the money is going in a specific contest. It's very helpful looking at this thing we've been talking about as far as, I actually don't think it shows up in this view, but if you go back to the other one, it allows you to kind of know exactly what kind of contest you're going in. You can see as the buy-in goes up, how the rate goes down. It's just a nice thing to to stay familiar with here. But anyways, Eric, I'm going to give you the honors. You can kick it off with a player you love, a, a stack, whichever direction you want to take this lineup. Hmm, that's a good question. Sorry, I'm just distracted by your account balance. Uh, <laughs> I'm, think, I'm still distracted by it too. I think I think last year there was like $47. In there <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> when we did this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, I think, uh, it was the first thing we talked about. So, um, as much as I love the, the Mahomes thing, yeah, uh, I think we were both in, a, in agreement on Deshaun Watson. So let's go with the Deshaun Watson and probably just plug in Fuller. Cause I just don't think you can play Watson without playing Fuller. Yeah. That is the one thing, you know, we had the one bad Fuller game, but otherwise he's been over 15 PPR points each game. He's getting the targets. He, I mean, if Watson hits that insane ceiling, uh, Fuller is going to be there too. So there was just that one weird game, but otherwise he's, he's kind of their alpha there. So I have, I have zero concerns about Fuller. Yeah. And I mean, it can kind of, the bad game can kind of be explained. Like Baltimore is a pretty good secondary. We saw him like doing his typical Will Fuller stretching the hammy on the sideline during the game. And, so it is what it is. I think uh, I think most people in the industry were like super, super bullish on Wolf Fuller coming into the year. And, you know, just due to some 
weird, weird games or whatever. He hasn't really ever been been owned, and now he's kind of priced up. So I think it's a good time to buy in tournaments. So I want to I want to work on this with you, collaborative. Uh, so DJ Chark, he's the more expensive at sixty five hundred. I you know normally for me, I got my Lavisca Chenault helmet here. I just jam him in. He's relatively cheap. I, I'm a little worried about his hamstring. It's been I haven't seen too many good or just actually any reports on where he's at with that. How are yeah. you feeling about the the bringbacks in this game? Uh, yeah, so I think that's actually the trickiest part. Um, is the the second it's the second option you know fuller is so clear and obvious the second option which i was originally interested in fells but it does look like jordan akins is going to play so that 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 hurts a pretty easy ha huh. yes yes dylan uh i i did like fells but i think we need to monitor jordan akins because he did practice yesterday uh, but if Jordan Akins doesn't clear concussion protocol, I think Fells is one of the best tight end plays on the, on the slate, especially at his price. Um, but you start to get into this roster construction thing where, okay, if I play, you know, I want to double stack Deshaun. Yeah. And if I can't use Fells, Cooks feels real gross, but it, it might be just a necessary evil, you know, you, that you have to play Cooks. And so then that takes away a wide receiver spot from uh, if you wanted to say have bring bring two guys back, it limits you to only Chark or or Lavisca. And I prefer Lavisca at his price. Yeah. But I do think Chark just has a lot more a lot more upside. You know, if this game goes goes according to plan. Yeah, I mean, just looking here, he's now had two straight limited practice sessions. So I think that's trending uh, positive for him there. So. Yeah, how else have you been thinking about that for, you know, the classic double stack, the two wide receivers bring it back with a, a tight end or wide receiver. Do you, are you okay with like a game stack? Like if we did a Watson, Fuller, Cooks and you bring it back, would you ever do and Chenault and Chark together? Is that, is that uh, too much? No, uh, that's probably my preference. You know, if I, if I set out to build the perfect team, I think mm -hmm. we talked about this last, like maybe even last year on this show. I set out to totally build the absolute perfect team. It, it it would be ideally even picking positions. It would be like quarterback, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, tight end with three, just like workhorse bell cow running backs and maybe correlate with the defense. Uh, I still am developing my thoughts on the, the defense running back correlation thing, but like full one, one game stack with three bell cow running backs would be like the the absolute nuts. So that's yeah. not exactly what we would what we would have here, but like you're capitalizing every, you know, basically the the goal is to get like every touch and every score from an absolute shootout game. Um so I think that that would be the goal. So I'm I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. I think you did that. Didn't you do that? Was it last week or 2 weeks ago or something? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I uh it's all it's all a blur now. But yeah, I I think in especially money, too much money. <laughs> No, but to, to your point too, I also think it makes a lot of sense when you're also using the tight end as yeah. that additional piece to move from a double stack to like a full game stack or onslaught because it's like that position sucks and it's so hard. So might as well break a tie in the yep. direction of the game you need to shoot out anyways. Yeah, it's a lot harder with using all your wide receiver spots and a flex spot on it for sure. Um, that's why the tight end thing is, is it's, it's like the dream, you know, like you said, people are starting to get a little more hip to it, I guess, but I think it's one strategy that's still, um, really, really strong in tournaments is just correlating your tight end within, within your game stack. So if you can do it with, you know, just this full out shootout and still be able to get, you know, three workhorse running backs, that's like, that's like the dream. So, um, it is tougher with this game. You know, I wish it would be. This would be a lot more fun process if Aikens really, really yeah. was out because Fells would be a pretty much of a slam dunk. So to play it safe, should we do? You want to do Chenault and Cooks for now? Yeah, let's do let's do Chenault and Cooks. Okay, and then real quick, Eric had said James Robinson bring back. This is kind of what we were just talking about with the Miles Gaskin play and that idea of Eric saying it's it's just harder for Robinson to nail his ceiling with the the Texans passing game going off as well. Yeah, it's just a. Uh... Like I get the the logic behind it, and it's possible it does elevate the floor of of James Robinson because you're like guaranteeing some catches. 
in that, but it's really hard for James Robinson to, to James Robinson to run for 100 yards and two touchdowns, and Deshaun Watson to throw for 404 because there's just not enough time in a game. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to toss it back to you now. Uh, looks like we need a running back here or tight end, whatever whatever you're feeling. Uh, who who fits in with this lineup? We're actually pretty good on ownership here. Yeah, pretty good on ownership and pretty good on on salary. So um, going to back to the the Dallas kind of concept, my stance on on Dallas being a little fluky in terms of the pass game and the game script and everything that's played out. I just I think Zeke is almost impossible to get away from this week. I know he's not going to be low owned or anything, but you know he, he he's had fine fantasy performances in games that they're down three scores in the in the first quarter. And if you watch him, like he's dropping balls like they're like Dax throwing it to like he, he's I don't know if he's drunk or if he's got COVID and they're hiding it or whatever but like he looks like trash like in these these comeback comeback scenarios but running the ball I mean he, he looks awesome it's just a matter of time before he he has a monster game and I and I think we're getting a little ownership discount like not a lot obviously because there's just not enough plays on this on this slate but I think I think we are getting a, a little ownership discount just because he has not gone totally nuclear yet yeah uh, I like it and especially if that passing game is what draws most of the ownership I think he makes a lot of sense here so uh, immediately I want to think about either correlating Zeke with either just playing the Cowboys defense and hoping they smack the uh, the Giants or playing Golden Tate in our flex as kind of the, the really low owned one-off in that game. And then we're just fully leveraging the chalk. Which one of those do you prefer? Oh God, dude, golden Tate. So golden, the, the golden Tate kind of play is the play that I struggle with the most because, mm-hmm. because I do like to get like hand in the dirt, watch the games a, a, a little bit, you know, yeah. I go back and watch, I go back and watch the, I watch all the games on Sundays. I've seen your film watch. takes on Twitter. I, yeah. I got, I got film takes, bro. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm NFL scout. No, but I, 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 I do like to do that. Um, like I don't claim to know, you know, everything, everything about football, but I just like football and I, I like to try to pick up a few things here and there from watching the, you know, hashtag watch the tape and, and I, and I've watched the giants and I've watched golden Tate specifically and Holy shit. Like th- their matchups have been bad, but it, it, it has not been the matchups making golden Tate look bad. Like yeah. if, if AJ green is dust, Golden Tate it definitely does. Okay, so that is like my only concern because I think all the if you set that aside and if you if you don't watch the tape, Golden Tate makes all the sense in the world. He has yeah. just as much opportunity as Slayton and Ingram. You know, it's more PPR heavy, so he's he makes a lot of sense. So that that's it. it really is the play that I that I struggle with the most most because he's five percent to the thirty percent of those other guys. Um, so I, I, I like it, but. No, it's a, play I, that I, it's a play that I never make because I, you know, I, I, I hashtag watch the tape. Yeah, I was, I literally did not have a golden Tate uh, take. I mean, would you consider, even though it's chalkier, Evan Ingram in this lineup or no? So I do think you can play Evan Ingram in a lineup like this. Um, and, and, and I, I, that's where, you know, tight end is, is really a place I don't want to play the chalk. Yeah. But, but if, you know, if you have this this type of team, and if Zeke really does smash, Evan Ingram is probably the best tight end play on the board. And I mean, what what's Fuller? What are Fuller and Chenault going to be? 10 percent or less? And Cooks is ain't nobody's going back to Cooks. So your total ownership doesn't really matter. So I would side with the correlation in this example. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll use Ingram then. I uh, you don't have to. Uh, twist my arm to not play these these dusty old guys. I was just looking at it purely from the ownership there, but I would much rather play Ingram, who really seems to be kind of settling in uh, to a nice role. And the weird thing about is his A dot is under five yards right now, which again is fine for his PPR floor, but we need to see him down the seam a little bit, breaking off a big play. That's what gets you excited about Evan Ingram. I do think the you know. I'm down on the Giants solely because everyone is buying low, but I do think there's a reason to believe that what we've seen from them is a little fluky as well. Like their matchups have have really been brutal for the first for the first four weeks, and I don't think that they're a good offense. But Daniel Jones showed upside showed upside last year. We know Evan Ingram can play. 
Like yeah. it's not, it's not a question of talent. So yeah, it sucks that the field also feels the same way, but um, I still think that they're strong. Let's put in just like a placeholder defense. So we know kind of what we're working with. I would say what, like maybe the Browns at uh at 2,700 would be a decent placeholder. I, lo- I like the Browns. I like defenses against dusty old quarterbacks. Yeah. And the, the Colts are playing so slow and they're running the ball uh, a lot. And like you said, Rivers can always turn it over. So that leaves us 6,400 here. We are uh, nicely correlated so far. Um, where do you want to go here? 6,400. So <clears throat> I don't know about you. This I, I almost always am building three running back teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the... I see the upside in in certain contests and playing wide receivers in the flex, but in the like going back to the smaller field stuff, running backs, especially these like workhorse running backs, just raise your floor of your team so much. And because you don't need to hit the the stone nuts, I do care a little bit uh, about that floor. And it's not like the running backs have 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 really much of a lower, if at all, ceiling than than the wide receivers so this is where i start to just like look at two b twos of of running backs and let's see here i was just heading over to uh look at our running backs doing our little sort by ceiling and uh comparing it to to ownership here to see if anyone really stood out <laughs> joe mix it again no one wants to play oh, God. him against <laughs> the uh the ravens all these running back james connor is pretty interesting i would say against the Eagles at 6% ownership. Miles Sanders in that same game. Probably are not going to play Jonathan Taylor against our our running back here. So what right, – so Connor is an interesting one because, again, hand in, hand in the dirt. I hate playing running backs against the Eagles because they really do uh, play, good, play good run defense. But Connor's like one of the very few workhorses that we even have left available to us and no one keeps you know i know they have the one they missed the one game because of uh because the titans are idiots but he the the steelers running back role is just uh has always just been like team jam them in right like yeah Le'Veon Le'Veon bell was the king of of jam them in and then connor was too and now i feel like people have kind of strayed away from there so i don't i don't love the matchup by by any means but um, I do think he's at least interesting for tournaments as a pivot off of like the CEHs and Kareem Hunt and and Mike Davis. Yeah, to me, James Conner just has that kind of, again, I know this will sound hyperbolic, but the Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon type feel of the guy who mm-hmm. is going to get the touches and the workload. The matchup isn't that imposing. And for whatever reason, he's getting lost in the shuffle. So I kind of like the James Conner call. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I still am am struggling with running back honestly because the yeah. there are not very many good honestly not that many good plays and the ones that are are the there's four right there's 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 four that literally everybody is playing um, so I, I don't think we have like you know in, in this type of a lineup you don't have to get too crazy because we're you know, we're playing three pretty unowned wide receivers and a low owned quarterback so. The, uh, um, from a correlation standpoint, if you did like, you know, there's not on the Eagles, there isn't really an attractive pass catcher to correlate it with. Whereas if we did play say Miles Sanders, then all of a sudden mm-hmm. like Juju and Deontay Johnson are very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, I, I, I think that, uh, another guy, sorry, I'm trying to look at our, our, no. our money remaining here. The one guy that. I got to bring up because I couldn't come on this show without talking about somebody that's at least like pretty off, off the board, but I feel like it's at least on brand. I'm not, I'm not playing somebody just super shitty, but that I really, really do like this week is Antonio Gibson. Okay. Uh, I think he's a, he's a spot I'm looking to get different at running back this week where there's not a lot of spots, spots to get different. And it's just, uh, we, we know he's good. Rams run defense is not anything that I'm afraid of, but people are just afraid that Washington's gonna gonna suck and get and get crushed by the Rams, which maybe they do. But I thought last week was encouraging, despite the fact that he didn't play like a ton of snaps. He played like 44% of the snaps <clears throat> and still got a ton of touches. So like when he's out there, he's getting the ball. And 
those are the kind of guys I want to buy um, before the before the market does because uh, like Leone and and Pat I think did the the thing for tight ends like talking about market you know, targets per route run but it's yeah. the same thing for it's the same thing for all positions that being out there all the time and not getting targeted or not getting the ball is not really that valuable. But these guys who are maybe not out there a ton, Aaron Jones that you just brought up is a great example. Yeah, Aaron Jones is only out there 60% of the time. But when he's out there, he's getting the ball. Yeah. And so that's that's really valuable in and of itself. But then if his role grows, like what if he is this team CMC? They've already talked about they want to expand his role. He's getting 18 touches, you know, 18 carries and targets in like 30 snaps. So what happens when he plays 65 snaps? You know, what if yeah. JD McKissick gets hurt? Like it, there's just a lot of paths. Like he has a floor. Like, look what we've seen, his floor. You know, since since week one, he's double digit floor. And he just has a lot of paths to upside that people aren't factoring in yet because we haven't seen him play like that full complement. And I would rather be early than late. Yeah, and what's kind of unusual to me about Gibson is I would have thought he would be losing more work to Barber and then fully take over the pass game role. Right. It's actually McKissick who's yeah. really the thorn in his side, and he's almost fully surpassed Barber. Even at the goal line, they're giving Gibson a lot of work. So once that switch is flipped, and even with McKissick, he's still getting five targets, three targets. So I love that call. It also frees us up to really do whatever we want in that flex. We could play a guy like Ridley as a ceiling wide receiver one-off, or like you said, if you prefer these running backs, we have lots of options here. Connor Edwards, Hilaire, if we want to just get, eat a little more chalk, I think we definitely can at this point. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is kind of how, you know, we talked about my, like my article that I'll be writing later today, but this conversation stuff that we're having here is exactly how I think you should think about, you know, building the team. We're like, okay, what kind of stuff, you know, even if we stack the chalk, you know, let's say we stacked the, the, the Carolina game, yeah. you, you're being, uh, Drew Dinkmeyer calls it, you just have to be thoughtful about how you build your team there. It, it's not, I'm not saying, oh, you got to play Deshaun because you can't stack the chalk, but no, well, then I probably don't want to play Zeke and Mike Davis and whatever. So we're doing the same thing here. You're like, okay, our, our stack is, is, you know, a, a unique, a unique stack. So, so we can play Evan Ingram and then, oh, we're into Antonio Gibson. Okay. We can play Mike Davis if we want to, and then see what that defense gives us, or we can play CEH. And see what defense that gives us. So, yeah, and um, that's the thing, that, guys. When I see in the comments, you know, everyone's tossing out plays. You know, Jacob, Ceh, um, you know, all of these stuff. David Johnson, you know, again, <laughs> it, you know, Blender really drove this home mm -hmm. last week too. You can play if you were just like, I want to play Ceh this week. You can play him. It's then being thoughtful around it. And so basically, how Eric and I are navigating these is like oh, okay, we just played Gibson. That really kind of frees us up now to do whatever we want. But say we played Mike Davis there. We're not just going to jam in another CEH type play and have mega chalk at all three running backs. So we're adjusting each decision we make is impacting the rest of the further decisions. Yep, exactly. And I think uh, it's a, it's it helps me too. Like, you know, I get, I get sometimes two galaxy brain like sitting in you know uh building my teams or or the opposite direction where um you you get just so ingrained in in what the best plays are so like talking it through like i talk i try to talk it through with you know whether it's you know you on this show or or other people i think it's it's really beneficial so you don't get just caught in the oh my god look at mike davis you know he's gonna get 30 touches you know he's only 6400 and then the next thing you know you have six chalk dudes and you're counting on playing some random one percenter to to pay you off yeah so i think we'll, we'll actually leave this as a choose your own adventure for how you do it <laughs> because we could correlate gibson and play cooper cup and upgrade at defense we could definitely do that we could just eat some more chalk with clyde edwards hilaire i think would be justifiable i like yeah. ridley as a one-off ceiling play in that game there's lots of different routes i think you could finish this lineup yeah, you can even, you know, if you if you do believe in the Golden Tate play, hmm. like like uh, I don't, but if you wanted to play Golden Tate there and pay for one of the stud tight ends, you you know you can you can do that too. Um, there's a lot of different options there with this kind of team. Yeah, you could play whatever tight end, and then you could upgrade 
um, at defense if you want. So yeah, yep. this is just giving you guys the idea of when we put these plays in, we're not saying these are our gold star lock of the week plays. <laughs> right. We're saying this is a construction that makes sense with the correlations and the ownership. Yep. Um, all right. I, I love this stuff. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoy it too. Like I mentioned last week, Eric is uh, one of the few guys I make sure not to miss what he's saying and thinking about the slate. You said your article will be up later this afternoon. Yeah, I tried. So I do a show with, like I was saying earlier, with the Squirrel Patrol, where we kind of do a lot of similar things that we, you and I just did, just kind of talking through tournament decision making and, uh, you know, mostly like strategic type discussions. Not, you know, kind of kind of blender blender esque play whoever you want, but here's how you should be thinking about, and here's how you should be thinking about this slate. And then I do an article where I'm again kind of doing a similar thing. In case you hadn't figured out the shit that I care about, uh, it's it's the strategic stuff. But I'm, I'm kind of breaking down the slate, like starting from scratch. Here's here's where like, uh, all right, let's look at this slate and let's look at all the games on the slate, like macro sense, right? And that's what you and I kind of did. Okay, Cowboys game sticks out, Falcons game sticks out. Then I start to look at positional and, and pricing. And then you start to look at kind of leverage and how to and how to construct a team based on, on ownership and all that. So I kind of just walk through how I'm building um, my higher stakes tournament team team that week so that comes out usually uh friday afternoons but uh, i was telling you i'm i'm <laughs> it's a pain in the ass to try to do it because we just don't know anything about injuries right now you know like we were talking about lavisca's limited i don't know if that means he's guaranteed yeah. to play or he's not good or he doesn't even have a chance to play we just don't know we just don't know anything so i'm trying to delay as much as i can to get as much information as possible yeah, you got to think of it as a rough draft right now. You know, I have a, a tab. I think of some of my stacks, some of my secondary correlations, but I try not like I'm, I will forget this lineup when we are done because I want to come <laughs> back on Sunday with a really fresh set of eyes. Um, but it is good to have the ideas flowing. So thank you again to Eric for joining us. Thank you to Roto Grinders for having us. I'm Peter Overzet. This is the Bankroll Challenge. We will be back on Monday morning with a review of how we did. We'll see you guys next time. 